Welcome to another episode of One Door at a Time Concentric uh, Educational Solutions Podcast. We're live from Natsi in NOLA, New Orleans. Um, this is our opportunity to talk with uh, educators across the board, superintendents sharing about the experiences that they had growing up, their experiences professionally, and how they got to the superintendency. We have an unbelievable guest here, Dr. Melvin Brown from Montgomery City Public Schools. Uh, good brother, met you recently. We broke bread, so once we break bread, we're brothers. That's right. Uh, we're brothers from a different uh, different fraternity. We have a proud member of AFIA. I'll let him tell his story about that. But let me, I would be remiss if I didn't say, I want to shout out our sponsor, Atlas Restaurant Group, 28, no, 32 restaurants. Sorry for slighting y'all. All across the Baltimore uh, metro area. Thank you, uh, Alex. Without you and your team, this would not be possible. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. Let's do it. How did, how did you get to where you are? It's a long story. Uh, I'm First of all, I'm from a single-parent household. Okay. My mom raised me by herself. Um, I was born to my mom when she was 17, uh-huh. and she had to jump, drop out of high school in order to take care of me. Okay. My goal, my vision as an adult was always to, to work with communities to break generational poverty. So okay. going into education is really my, my thrust for doing the work I do, and okay. that started my journey. So I started out as a high school English teacher uh, in Stafford County, Virginia. And, okay. uh, and you're from where? I'm from Virginia. From Virginia, okay. Yeah. Uh, great experience in, in, in teaching high school. They got an opportunity to also teach middle school. But immediately after that, after about seven years of teaching, I got tapped to be principal at an elementary school. Oh, wow. I, okay. Um, was not seeking it, did okay. not expect it. And my suit just came in and asked, said, hey, we need you to really talk to us about this position. We think you do well. And I'm thinking, I'll just go get the experience from interviewing and take it somewhere else. Okay. I got the job. Uh, so I stayed in that school for two years as elementary principal. I went to a different district in Prince William County, Virginia. Prince William County, yeah. Uh, I was a principal there for four years. Yeah. Uh, then I was at the central office in a curriculum role with multicultural education for about okay. eight months. Immediately shifted over into an associate superintendent position uh, for area two, which is how okay. it was set up at that point. Um, and then got an opportunity to move closer to get a role back closer to home. So I lived in Fredericksburg at the time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my kids were in school there. I okay. went to uh, Spotsylvania to be a middle school principal for a couple of years uh-huh. and then decided I wanted to do something breakthrough. I jumped okay. into the charter school world and worked with a charter school management company uh, as a regional vice president okay. for yes. three years, uh-huh. which landed me in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. While there. Shout out to the land. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, did that for three years and then jumped into a school district there as their HR director, their deputy superintendent. Did that okay. a total of four years. And kind so of, right outside Cleveland, right? Outside yes. of Akron. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was there, did that for four years there and then got an opportunity for my first superintendency in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, just outside of Columbus. I uh, was there for five years as superintendent and uh, district of about 7,500 kids. Really good work we we're pushing in the STEM uh, area. Uh, trying to figure out equity for kids. And mm-hmm. I think we should do some really good work there. Okay. Uh, then I decided I wanted to do something a little more challenging, something mm-hmm. bigger. And uh, lo and behold, down to Montgomery, Alabama. Um, wow. Yeah. State I'd never even flown over before going to my interview. Okay. So uh, landed in Montgomery. The job, the interview went really well. We have about 27,000 kids in our district. Okay. Um, Most of what we're trying to push is Increasing rigor for our kids, yes. increasing expectations for kids, and in providing them with resources to have access, opportunity, and equity throughout all the things they do. Okay. My vision is that helps to break generational poverty. What are some of the things early on growing up, in, in, uh, just with your mother, 
that has kind of shaped and impacted how you are as an educator? You know, we didn't have a lot uh, being a poor family, uh, public assistance and things of that nature. But wow. she always had a value for reading. So okay. she kept me in the library all the time. Uh, it was just the two of us. I'm the only child. So oh, that's well, oh, part okay, of it. Okay. And she kept me in the library. So I was constantly reading. So by the time I was... 11, 12, 13 years old, mm-hmm. I had a love for reading because it took me places. It yes. allowed me to see and do things I never would be able to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then I became, I, I developed the vision for myself that I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be a combination of F, F. Scott Fitzgerald yeah. and James Bond. That's who I wanted to be. James Bond? Yeah. So you know about Bond? That is my, <laughs> I have an Aston Martin, shout out to Aston Martin 2012 Vantage. But yeah. So that, that shaped really how I went about my path. I, you know, books and movies were how I was able to travel the, the world escape. and see things. That, that's how I did it. And um, at some point, I said, I want to be able to, one, do that myself for real. Yes. And then two, how do we create venues for kids to be able to do those types of things themselves, uh, particularly in communities like Montgomery, where our kids many times don't even get out of their own neighborhood? Exactly. How do we expose them to new and different things so they can imagine what the world could be for them and how they can contribute back to it? Uh, okay. I am firmly a staunch advocate for making sure people understand they have a responsibility to give back to the world. It's not just about us. What do we do to give back? And I want kids to get that understanding. So take your love of reading that that developed during your childhood. Then now you go to college. Mm-hmm. What's your major? And then what got you really into thinking, OK, I'm going to education. Yeah. Or was it by happenstance? That was by happenstance as well. So I went into college as a political science major because I wanted to go to Me law too. school. I was in history and poli science. So yep. I wanted to do. I'm going to law school. I want to go to law school. Yes. Finished my freshman year of college, at which I also pledged my freshman year. I pledged Alpha spring semester of my freshman year. Uh, last above ground line. Last above ground. Shout out Spring 90. Yes. Spring 95. Yes. Um, I, I was in the Upward Bound program in high school. Yes. So Upward Bound shaped me academically as well. Yes. If not for Upward Bound, I would probably be on the corner doing something. Yeah. So I was going to succeed, but it may not have been something that was as uh, noble as the, what we try, choose to do now. Yes. Uh, yes. So Upward Bound showed me other things about college and opportunities. So that summer, I went back to Upward Bound as a, as a summer summer counselor. I did the same. Which yes. was a great opportunity. And uh, during that time, we had a, an English class that, uh-huh. that was being taught that didn't have a teacher for it. So the director asked me, he said, hey, you know, you know, you're a pretty good high school student, uh, English student. Would you want to teach this class? And I was like, sure. Why not? You know, make some extra money. No big deal. I get to help kids write and mm-hmm. do all those kinds of things. First day of class, I immediately fell in love. Yeah, well. I loved it. So I taught that class for six weeks. Camp counselor those six weeks. I went right back to JMU and immediately changed my major to English. Wow. And from that point on, I, I was going to navigate toward education. So. One of the things that when we're talking about, so, you know, in the live cast, we just had Dr. Derek Coleman, one of your frat brothers, Richard Ruse, and what gravi- why he gravitated towards uh, being alpha. So I'm always, I'm always curious because I know my history te- uh, professor uh-huh. was at uh, Kappa uh-huh. and he was constantly in my ear. But conversely, our, uh, the department head for history was an alpha uh-huh. and kept on being in my area as well. I just think, I think Charles Sutton got to me uh, sooner, but everybody was suspended. The only people that weren't suspended were the uh, Qs. Uh-huh. And I just, you know, shout out to Qs, but I just knew I was in a Q. Uh-huh. Uh, so if things would have changed, I probably would have been an alpha. But what, why, why did you gravitate towards that? So in high school, again, with Upward Bound, one of our former students who was a little bit older than us ended up pledging alpha at Old Dominion University. Yeah. He would come back during summer times, during school year, and just check in on us as kind yep. of a role model. So we watched Jason do his thing, and we were interested. Yeah. Uh, at least I was. Yep. And then, uh, so I'm carrying that interest. That's really all I know that I'm carrying to college. Mm-hmm. 
I get to JMU and I look at the chapters on campus and I look at what the alphas are doing. Wow. I look at what they're involved in. I looked at all the community service and the civic opportunities and who was in student government and who. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I want to be like them. I want to I want to do that. Um, so I ended up gravitating toward that organization. The mm-hmm. funny part is that we also had our little my, my fall semester as a freshman, a group of friends of ours. Uh-huh. We, we formed our own little group called the New Jacks. <laughs> and uh, we pretended we were our own little fraternity, which okay. obviously we had to catch a little bit of smoke for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think the Alpha saw something in us uh-huh. from a leadership standpoint to say, hey, we need that in our organization. And so they brought us in. And all of y'all? There were seven of us. Yeah. Wow. The New Jacks. The New Jacks. And you all went, you all went Alpha? We all, all went Alpha. Oh, no, don't, man. So, <laughs> n- so now you get out of JMU. Now you're going, you're going to go into teaching. Mm-hmm. What lessons did you make sure that you want to instill those first couple of years in your, uh, in your students? Uh, I, for, to being in high school in the teachers, I wanted kids, particularly boys, to understand the power of words. Okay. And how if you, if you can increase your acumen uh, in terms of what you have in your vocabulary, similar to what Dr. Dyson talked about today. Yes. If you can increase that, you can go anywhere and talk with anybody. Mm-hmm. And I want kids to understand range. Like you have to be able to code switch. I, I, I'd like to be the person who can go out and have a conversation with someone on the street Absolutely. in the neighborhood or go and talk to the mayor in his office Absolutely. and have both structured conversations that are very formal mm-hmm. and informal conversations that aren't necessarily as, as structured. Absolutely. Um, so I, I want kids to understand the power of words to help you navigate different situations. It not only affords you power, it yes. affords you access, it affords you an opportunity to get in the door and demonstrate who you are. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to, quote unquote, sell your soul in order to get in those rooms. Absolutely. But you better learn how to play that game. You got to. Yeah. And I really want kids to understand the power of playing a game and using your vocabulary to move you in the right direction. So that was always something that was really important to me, mm-hmm. um, particularly students of color. The yes. fact that we weren't afforded those opportunities uh, in certain school districts across mm-hmm. the country where yes. people were having those conversations with us. I was very lucky in that, you know, it, 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 as a kid in church, I got some of that poured into me, uh, but mainly reading and movies and then some really, really impactful teachers throughout my experience okay. demonstrated to me I could be more than I thought I could be. So now you, you so you become, you go through being a teacher, you go into the central office. Now you get ready to take your first superintendency. What was something that you didn't expect from being uh, that you thought about, but didn't really expect when you actually became a superintendent? What were some of the first, wow. some of the challenges? Um, I think one of the first challenges anybody going into the seat for the first time has to navigate is to understand that you have a board to answer to. And You're 10 for 10 now. Yeah. Every superintendent has now said the same thing. You don't understand. Like when I was, <laughs> when I was a number two, I thought I watch him do his work every day. I don't yeah. do that job. And you don't really know until you get in it. And you don't understand that every board is organic. It, it, it ebbs and flows and every board is different. Mm-hmm. Each of those board members are different and you have to cater to or uh, compensate for whatever their needs and wants might be. Mm-hmm. So you can get ultimately done what you need to get done. Absolutely. And uh, so I underestimated that greatly going into the role. So then now you get into the superintendency, you're, you're, you're kind of figuring out the nuance, right? How do you determine what what's important, like the very first steps that you take as superintendent? I, I think as a superintendent in any district, the very first step you can take is before you hit the seat is to understand where you're going and to make sure that's for you. OK, I think a lot of people who have an opportunity to be a suit for the first time, they just jump at the first opportunity and that's what they go for. You better make that. I'm sure the opportunity is what you truly want. And okay. just don't go for the first thing that comes. 
because there's so many communities that, it, for me personally, I know there are communities that I don't want to be a soup in. Yeah. And yep. if I don't do my research and my background to, to understand what that looks like and how to navigate it, I'm going to put myself in a position where I could ruin my whole career because one bad superintendency can ruin the opportunity for you to get another opportunity. So your frat brother, uh, Josh Towson, superintendent E-Course, right outside of Detroit, literally just said the same thing. It's so important. He said it really has to be about fits. Yeah. And absolutely. do your research and understand it's a fit even before you throw your hat because you absolutely. might only get one opportunity absolutely. and then that's it. And you better interview that board just as much as they interview you. So wow. you've got to know what their priorities are, where they're coming from, what their motivation might be, where okay. they're going to go, what their vision is. And if those things don't jive with, with who you are at your core, uh -huh. don't do it. It's not worth it. So were, were you in Montgomery right when COVID happened or right after? Afterwards. All right. Yeah. What was, what, was it, yeah <laughs> what was it like taking over a new district right after COVID? Um, or in the midst of the post-pandemic, the height. Yeah, I, I think using Montgomery in particular, I think in, in the South, in, in, yes. in our district in particular, was, was stricken really, really hard by the pandemic. Okay. We had a number of deaths, both in school and families associated with kids in school. Oh, wow. Okay. Staff members have passed away. So when I got there, people were still, and I got there in July of 21, people yeah, were yeah, still okay, very, yeah. very afraid yeah. of the pandemic. And they were afraid about sending their kids to school and uh, working in spaces where a bunch of people were and that sort of thing. So I had to navigate that first. I couldn't quite understand it because I'm like, I'm watching the news. I'm like, everything's fine now. We're good. Yeah. But you have to respect the history of what happens in that area. So obviously, Montgomery, Alabama, right next door is Tuskegee. We can think about the Tuskegee experiment. It, yep. Yes. Yep. Vaccines, the whole nine. And I had to understand that history to get a sense of where people were coming from. So wow. to get people to understand first that it was a safe environment mm -hmm. was, was crucial. That's number one. But then to make sure they understood within our district that if we did not change the way we did education, we were only going to continue to, to fail another generation of kids. Absolutely. And uh, the work we're doing now is to make sure kids understand we have high expectations for them. Yes. Uh, we want them to do great things and we need them to understand and know that they can do great things themselves. Wow. I think the mindset is one that we had low expectations for a very long time. And that became ingrained in our kids where they had low expectations of themselves. Okay. And uh, you're never going to be able to be successful if that's how you believe you are. I want our kids to know they are great. I yes. don't care how much trouble they get into or how many things they get mixed up in. They are, com uh, they are capable of fantastic things. And Absolutely. it's our job to create venues for them to be successful. Absolutely. So my thought is. You've probably been in education a little bit longer than me, right? But you look younger than me. That just shout out to good living. Shout out to bad living on my part. Good uh, my <laughs> this is in the first time. This is the first time in like 22 or 23 years in education for me that money was not necessarily supposed to be an issue. Mm -hmm. We had all this influx of funding. Mm -hmm. it, it allows school districts, one, to be extremely innovative, mm -hmm. risk taking in some mm -hmm. things. But now that proverbial cliff is looming over every superintendent's head. What are some of the things that you're trying to do in your district? One, to decide what to continue. Mm -hmm. uh, two, pre uh, prepare how to keep that fund, you know, funding those things because the money's going to run out. Absolutely. Um, and then preparing everybody that it's, it's going to look a little bit different. Yeah, I think first. Um, so having spent part of that time in one district where we made priorities of purchasing things that were not going to need to be sustainable. And if they were going to be sustainable, 
we made sure from our central our general fund we were going to be able to sustain that. Okay, that makes sense. So bringing that to Montgomery, I think there were a few things on the on the plate that we were, had some I had some concerns about long term okay. what that was going to look like. So mm -hmm. we went through a process to figure out what was being efficient and what wasn't. Okay, and there were just some things we stopped doing. Okay, um, there were some other things we brought in. They may have been more efficient, and we figured out ways to sustain over time. Okay. So now we're in a position working with our CSFO, who is the best financial school financial person in the state, in my opinion. Um, we're in a position where we have an $80 million carryover that allows a, ca a cash balance that allows us to sustain most of the programs and whatnot that we have in place. We're mm -hmm. also completing our strategic plan, which will be done, our new one will be done sometime in January. Mm -hmm. Anything we do is gonna come through that lens. And it's going to tell us how we're going to do a, go about doing work. And if it doesn't fit in that strategic plan, we're not doing it. So from a financial standpoint, we've done some things with grants, donations, and all sorts yeah. of other things to, to find additional funds. But knowing we're going over that cliff, there are just some things we're going to have to you start doing. you got to prep for it. Yep. You have to be ready for it. So if you could give the younger Dr. Melvin Brown some insights now, Ooh. what would be some of the key things wow. that you would tell him? Question. Wow. Stop being a knucklehead for one. Yes. Um, yes. I think younger me tended to think I knew more than I did. Uh -huh. And I didn't necessarily lean on people who were in the field to learn more about how they do what they do. I think as I got older, I got better at that. But you, I was that teacher in a high school like, I can do that better than that. I can yeah. do that. Yeah. Not understanding there's so many different pieces of this role that I didn't see or understand. So I would tell Absolutely. myself, to, to take your time, uh -huh. um, not necessarily jump right into a principalship like I did. I was a principal at 28. Yes. Had never been an assistant principal. Yes. I would not, I would not do that again. Yes. Um, I, I agree. I think it's stunning my growth in some respects. Yeah. You didn't know what you didn't know. No. And one of the, one of the key things that someone said to me, cause I was a very young administrator was, um, don't be ambitious. Don't have blind ambition. Yes. Um, learn to say no. Uh huh. Be aware, talk less. But it was literally, I was just too young to like get it. Same way. So I had to, I, I felt like I had the intellectual capacity. I didn't have the uh, emotional maturity yeah. to understand what a lot of those things Absolutely. looked like. And we were coming up in an era, you know, historically you were a teacher for X. Mm -hmm. Then you were a department head X mm -hmm. number of years. Then you were an assistant principal. Absolutely. I just made that jump from teacher to uh, to assistant principal for a hot minute, then to principal. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I didn't know what I didn't know. No. You know what I mean? So, I, no, I, I think that. So if you're if, if you're if you're giving not just yourself, your youngest self advice, aspiring people, because I know you mentor a lot of people now. Yeah. Right. It, it was one thing when you were the youngest in the room. Yeah. Now it's like, damn, like I'm not the youngest not in the anymore. room. Right. <laughs> what, what what is a piece of advice, a sage piece of advice you would give an aspiring superintendent? Uh, I tell people, don't be afraid of, of, of being successful and challenging and stretching yourself. I talk a lot about being comfortable with discomfort. And if you want to grow, put yourself in situations that make you stretch, mm -hmm. that make you do things that you aren't accustomed to or aren't that comfortable with. That's what's going to make you be a better person and learn from that experience, be it good or bad. You're going to okay. learn from it. Um, so I tell people just simply just because you think something you've done something before, like I'll just do it the same way. Find other ways that may be more effective than that previous way you did it. I always want to be better tomorrow than I was today. And Absolutely. I want people to understand to be better in this world and this work makes a better situation for kids. That's ultimately who it's about. Absolutely. It's never about us. 
Uh, one of the things I really struggle with in this role is that the superintendent gets a lot of attention uh-huh. and a lot of uh, uh, publicity and whatnot. And I'm never I'm, I'm truly an introvert. I really don't enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But it's part of the role. And if I have to use that to promote our district, then so be it. Okay. But it's never about me. And I have to, people have to understand that work is never about a single person. There's no one more important person in the room than anyone else. We're all mm-hmm. filling a role. We're all doing our piece in, in, in the wheel to make sure kids are successful. And when we let egos get in the way, we, we, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Yes. Uh, our ego cannot you know, be such that you know, our word is law and everyone w- must listen to us. I want to surround myself with people who can tell me no. Absolutely. People who can give me a better way of doing things. Mm-hmm. People who question and, and prod and poke and find questions about what should be done. Mm-hmm. And we actually did have discourse comfortable, uncomfortable conversations at times, because that's how we get to the best solution for every situation. Absolutely. And you got to have a fragile enough um, or a firm enough ego to say, you know what? I was wrong. That makes sense. I, I don't know. Let's do that instead of this. Absolutely. And that, that, that's not a knock on you as a superintendent. That's actually, you know, I, I've, I firmly believe about power. When you have power, the best way to use it is to give it away. That's the best use of power. If I'm hoarding it and I've got to be the person that makes the last have this last say about every single thing. That's not bringing people along. It's not developing them. And it's certainly not getting us the best product in the classrooms. Absolutely. Man, I want to thank you for taking the time. It's, it's, it's a crazy time. You've been, I know as a soup, you're being pulled in every direction. You took the time. Thank you, one, for your, your service. My pleasure. Thank you for your authenticity, your transparency, the vulnerability and just the conversation. You always text me back when I text you. And I, I know I greatly appreciate it because some people don't do that shit. Um, and I just want, you know, I mean, just thank you for, for stopping by. Uh, we got to give a shout out to your tailor. She, <laughs> she doing her damn thing. Um, you know what I mean? We're going to sh- shoot some referrals. Yeah. But I want to thank you for stopping by. I know we're sponsoring your iron. Is it men forging men iron? Something, yeah. Men of something, iron, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. On Saturday. Uh, but just thank you. Continue to do, do, uh, do the work that you're doing. I look forward to the brotherhood, man. I realize that there's not many authentic brothers that you can build with. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that my circle is broadening. Absolutely. So I, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for joining us. Another episode live from Nazi 2023, New Orleans. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, again, I have to give this disclaimer. You're going to be seeing multiple episodes because we're filming live. I have more than one suit. I promise you that, right? I promise that. And more than one pair of shoes. Uh, you can always catch us on concentric.world. Please download, subscribe, view. We got to get those viewership up and those downloads, subscribers up. Please pass this along to your network, please, your brother. You know what I mean? This is proof, ladies and gentlemen, that light skin did not go out in the early 90s. I did not. We're coming back. We never We're coming back. One soup at a time. <laughs> uh, th- a shout out to Atlas Group. Thank you uh, for your support. See you next time.